Hola Iglesia, hello church. Welcome to worship today as we continue our series, GPS, Navigating a Life on Mission. Apparently my GPS is a little bit confused because I've landed here in Ecuador this week, so I'm sorry I'll miss being with you today. Uh, but I'm down here with my son Bryant learning about a new uh, ministry strategy that's bringing church planting and community development to the poorest communities of the world. Uh, this piece of land right here in the building behind us uh, could one day, with the right support, be a local church and a center of child services that, that brings the poorest children of the world out of poverty in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been an amazing opportunity to learn about this ministry. I hope to tell you about it more later. Right now, though, I just want to welcome you to worship. I also want to welcome uh, the newest member of our worship pastor team, Nathan Hall, along with his wife, Megan, and their son, Mason. Uh, they begin worshiping with us and serving with us this week. So if you see him around, be sure to greet Nathan and Megan and Mason. Right now, I hope that you enjoy the sermon as we continue to ask this question, how do we align our GPS with God and navigate a life on mission with Jesus? Good morning, church. It is good to be together today. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Christian, and I'm excited to be with you. Um, so something has changed over the past six weeks or so in my wife and I's life, and so I figured it would be good for us to start uh, by me kind of sharing that with you. So about six weeks ago, uh, my wife and I welcomed our first child into the world, a little boy um, named Jack Owen Prophet. Thank you. Um, and so as a father, it is my obligation to share his cuteness with you. And so I, I figure I'd start by sharing a couple pictures. So there he is with his best friend Emmett already, a boy and his dog. Oh, that's so sweet. I could just stand here. Can we just sit here for the next 22 minutes and stare at these? Oh, yeah, after bath time, right? So sweet. Oh, he's precious, man. Um, it's been fun, but I got to be honest, like those of you who are parents in the room right now um, who have children... For the first time, I get what it's like when daylight savings turns and how hard it is to get up and get to church. So thank you for being here um, with us. I hope it's worth it. I've having to navigate on a little bit of less sleep. Um, I've got one more picture I want to show you real fast. This isn't, this isn't Jack. This is actually my friend Matt Silver. And uh, this morning, Matt and the community of people around Matt are launching a church just outside of Philadelphia. And so Matt and the community that's around him, uh, they believe that God is better experienced than explained rather than being explained. And so they have launched, this morning, they launch um, Experience Christian Church. And so as we start our service, I want to pray for them real fast. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the vision and the calling you have given Matt and the rest of the community that has gone with him to plant Experience Christian Church. God, we pray for the people who will come through their doors in a few minutes, the families that they represent, the stories they bring with them. God, we know that you are going to do awesome, powerful, good things in that community. So God, our prayers go with Matt and that community as they launch this morning. Amen. So I'm really glad you decided to join us this morning. The ideas that I get to share with you are some that are deeply meaningful to me personally. In fact, the ideas that we get to talk about today that I get to share with you uh, radically transformed my life and how I think about myself as a person on mission. 
And so I hope they'll do the same for you. I hope that the things we talk about today will shape your journey with Jesus and will give you some things to think about as you leave this place today. Um, so we're in a series right now that we're calling GPS. And in this series, we've been talking about the mission of the church and our place as individuals in that mission. In week one, we set the destination. And we said that if we gave God the GPS of our lives, God would input Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If we gave God the GPS of our lives, he would give us the great commission to go and make disciples of all, ba- of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. And so our destination as a community is a missionary destination where we live to see the rest of our world reconnected to our God. And last week, Ethan talked to us about the word we all hate to hear from our GPS recalculating. His must have had a really hard recalculating this week. Um, it serves, this word serves as a reminder that our mission never changes. From the time God called God's people to now, the mission has never changed. But we were reminded that sometimes for the mission to stay the same, the strategies have to change. And change can be frustrating. It can be as frustrating as when we hear those words recalculating, but when the recalculating stretches us, we can be comforted by the fact that our mission remains the same. And I think there's a little bit of a freedom when we realize that that comes with recognizing there's more than one way to share God's good news with the world. And I think this is going to be a a very, very significant reminder for us in the weeks that come. And so if you missed either of the last two weeks of this series, I'd encourage you to go back to the church website and watch those. That'll kind of help you get prepared for where we're going over the next few weeks. Because we've been given to this point, we've given kind of a refresher, a framework, a reminder for the missionary mandate of the church. And we've talked about the big ideas that apply to us as a community, but this week we kind of turn our attention toward the individual, to us. This week it's time to shift our focus and get practical. And we're going to get practical with an idea um, of what God has created God's people to be. And now that we've kind of been given this mission, we can turn our attention to how it works itself out in each of our lives. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to learn what it means for each of us to be missionaries to the places where we live, work, and play. And I hope the ideas we talk about, that they get you excited and they give you a vision for what God might be calling you to. And so throughout this series, we've been using this language of GPS. And so I started thinking about what to me are old school GPSs, like those little TomToms and Garmins. I don't know if you guys remember those. Some of you may even still use them. Um, I was in Best Buy the other day and I stumbled upon them in kind of like this back corner. And I was like, they still make these things? I'm like, what? Like this ancient technology. I gotta be honest with you. Um, A few weeks ago, we were cleaning out some storage space and I think it was a middle school student um, found a GPS, and he picked it up, and he was like, ah, what, what is this? And I was like, that is a GPS device, and he's like, do we need to keep it? And I said, no, no, you can just go ahead and toss it in the trash, um, because a lot of us, at least in my generation, we don't use, like, those actual GPS things anymore. Most of us use the GPS app on our phone, and some of those apps um, are pretty good. I think of Apple Maps. I think of Google Maps, but then I was introduced to the best GPS app. And you can thank me after your next road trip because you are going to love this app. This app that I was introduced to is called Waze. 
If you've ever used Waze, hey, yeah, somebody over there has used Waze. Waze is awesome because it gives you so much more than simply directions. It gives you all sorts of information. It lets you know when there are police up ahead. I wouldn't need that information, but if you need it, um, it's there for you. Um, it lets you know when there are traffic jams. It lets you know when there's debris on the road. And man, there's no other GPS app I know that does all of that. And I've actually got a screenshot to kind of show you real fast. And so this is exactly what Waze does. And so you're on your route, maybe you're on your way to work or something, and it just lets you know, um, hey, there's a police officer up there. And you can bet nine times out of 10, you can slow down to the exact speed limit. But I would never need to do that. <laughs> you slow down to the exact speed limit and just wave politely at the police officer as you pass and say, good luck catching people who aren't using Waze. And then it continues on, it shares a little bit, says, hey, there's, uh, there must be some construction up there because there's some traffic and it looks like there's some debris, so we're going to reroute you. We know that's normally the way you go, but we're going to go this way instead. Driving with Waze is awesome, and there's no other app like Waze because there's no other app that kind of gets information like Waze does. See, Waze is able to provide that information, not because they have thousands of dedicated drivers like kind of on the road with you. Um, Waze relies on its users to report what they see and experience on their journey. When you drive, when you drive past a reported police officer debris or something like that, an option comes up on the app to say, hey, is that, is that police officer still there? Is the debris still there? And it gives you an option to say yes or no. You can also report if you're kind of if you're the first person to see an officer debris or something. Um, you can in, input that information and it will communicate it to drivers behind you. And a term used for this kind of information gathering is something called crowdsourcing. And I love using Waze, but I, I appreciate it even more today because it's the perfect example of the biblical truth that we're talking about. See, judge, just like Waze, God designed God's kingdom work to be done by everyone. God's mission is the original crowdsourcing model. See, God could have come up with any plan that God wanted to come up with, to spread the good news that there's freedom from sin and an opportunity to be in a restored relationship with God. And out of all of the things that God could have chosen, God chose to give every person a part in that plan. I love that so much. God could have chosen to do all sorts of things. He could have chosen to do the work on his own. He could have chosen an elite group of individuals to spread the good news. But God didn't decide to do that things that way. God gave every person a part to play. And today I want to encourage you with the truth that everyone, every follower of Jesus has a place in God's kingdom mission. Every single person. Every single person, when we become a follower of Jesus, we're immediately given a part to play in God's, kingdom's, God's kingdom plans. And that's true of me, that's true of you, and that's even true of Kanye. Regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, oh yes, a couple laughs, thank you. Last hour they didn't get it. Regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, I can promise you that all of us have a part to play in God's kingdom plans. Regardless of the things that you've done or the things that you will do, regardless of your personality type, regardless of the baggage you're carrying, regardless of the ways that you've been hurt or the things that you've done wrong, regardless of the profession you've chosen or you will choose, friends, you, me, all of us have a place in God's plans. 
But you may be like me as you're sitting here this morning. I gotta be honest with you, I didn't used to believe this about myself. Even as I was preparing to go into ministry, I, I used to look around and think, well, yeah, of course that person has a part to play in God's plans. Look how nice and neat their life is. Look how perfect everything is. Look at the gifts that they have. Look at the personality God has given them. Of course they have a part to play. But I don't, me, not so much. I, think, I can think of the countless people who tried over and over again to kind of ingrain in me and call out this mission in me. And I thought, you know what? That's really, really nice of you to say. But you can only say that because you don't know my story. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I'm wrestling with. And if you knew those things, you wouldn't say what you're saying about me. But finally, and it took a really long time to convince me, finally that God let that sink in and my, my perspective has been radically shifted and my prayer is that the same thing might happen to you this week. I hope that these coordinates will be what send you toward a new destination of life on mission. So every follower of Jesus is a priest with a part to play. And God's word is clear on this all throughout the Bible. From the very beginning, it's clear that all of God's people are given an integral assignment. As soon as God called God's people, in Genesis chapter 12, God told them that your people will be a blessing to the nations and a light to the world. And God says this, reminds the Israelites of this in the second book of the Bible in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, and God had just delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and they're making their way to the land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham. And three months into the journey, we hear this. Exodus 19, they came to the desert of Sinai after they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And as they were camped there, uh, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell to the people of Israel. Now get this, not just the select few, not just you take this little group over here and tell them this. No, you tell this to every one of them. And God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Essentially how you've witnessed how I've delivered you miraculously. And now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And yes, the whole earth is mine, um, but you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a group set apart. Again, not just a select few, the entire nation. And God says, these are the words I want you to speak to the Israelites. And God set the entire nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands of people apart to be priests. Now, different ones of us have different examples of priests in our mind that we might be thinking about when we hear that word. But put simply, a priest is someone with a relationship with God who uses that relationship to connect other people to God. They're a representative for God in the world around them. A priest is a connection point between God and God's creation. They're the people who model God's character and share God's truth with others. And God chose all of them. God chose the entire nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests to be God's representatives to a watching world. And God gave them a responsibility 
to go along with that relationship. They were intended to be a kingdom of priests, and like we said before, this wasn't a new calling for them. They were all priests with a part to play. They were all blessed with access to God, and they had a responsibility, a calling to go along with that blessing. And that sounds great, Um, and that passage can be one, if you're reading through the Bible, you can kind of skip over pretty fast, because unfortunately, that prophecy wasn't fulfilled in their time. Their priestly responsibilities were outsourced to one special tribe, to the Levites, um, to the ones that they considered to be the professionals. And over time, as the stuff of life got in the way, as it often does, they all kind of forgot their calling to be priests. They all forgot about their role to be God's connection point to the world around them. But God's plan didn't change. That prophecy remained, and it was waiting to be fulfilled. And it wasn't true of the Israelites that day, but it was at the center of Jesus' ministry. And we know this because it was apparent all throughout the writings we have in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing to young Christians in Corinth, and he wants them to understand that, hey, you have a new life. You're a new creation. And that new creation, that new life comes with a responsibility. Paul says this, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so here Paul is saying to Christians in Corinth, if you have been reconciled, which is just a fancy way to say reconnected, if you've been reconnected to God, then you have a responsibilities. You have a responsibility to let others know that the same is available to them. As reconnected people, we're called to be a reconnecting people. Another passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, another author is writing to a church that's figuring out what it looks like to live kingdom lives. And in the letter um, to this group, the author says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Exodus 19 is all over this. A holy nation, a set-apart group of people, God's special possession. So you're set apart, you have a relationship, and then the second part is the the responsibility that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, God's people were always intended to be a kingdom of priests who shared what they had seen and experienced in their relationship with God and with the world around them. And so this is true of us. If God has delivered us from darkness, then we have a responsibility to share that good news with others. If our relationships in our life have been restored because of the work that God is doing in us, then we have an obligation to pass that news on. If we have an enduring hope in times of trial and pain because of the promises of God, then we have a responsibility to get the word out. God hinged God's plans on this truth. 
And I know this kind of sounds weird for you because, again, this word priest is still kind of in my mind. And we've got all sorts of images of what a priest is. And we build these leaders and, like, we build these leaders up that are priests in the early church. We build all them up to be these supernaturally perfect people. But Jesus never called flawless people. Friends, Jesus calls fishermen. And I missed that for so long in the Bible. I would look at different passages where Jesus calls people to follow him, and I would just, I would kind of gloss over the people that they were before they came in contact with Jesus. And then I came to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And I had read it tons of times before, but this time that word fisherman stuck out to me. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And as they went on a little further, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets when Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's his detail this fisherman details, it feels almost like a throwaway line, um, especially because we think about priests, we think about flawless, nice, and neat people who seem to be kind of disconnected from the messy stuff of life, but those aren't the people that Jesus chose to follow him. Jesus chose the, ca- the cast of deadliest catch to be his priest, and so we've got, a, we've got a picture right there. Jesus calls these people. There's a reason we have the phrase cursing like a sailor, Right? Jesus chose those who were renowned for their use of expletives to be his priests. Jesus chose everyday average people. I wanted to show a clip from Deadliest Catch, and so I looked him up on YouTube. I couldn't find any without a whole bunch of bleeps in it. Um, but Jesus calls the tough and hardworking, the no-nonsense kind of people. They weren't the most educated, and they weren't the wealthiest. Jesus didn't choose flawless people. Jesus chose fishermen. See, friends, every follower, regardless of profession, background, education, or bank balance, everyone is a priest with a part to play. And that includes wanderers in the desert, that includes fishermen, and that includes us in this room today. And I know this can be a lot to take in. This has been something I've been working out for years. And it can seem so overwhelming that we just kind of take this nice idea and we just tuck it away and we outsource our calling to others that we kind of consider more qualified. And it's because we have this narrow view of what a priest is. When we think of a priest, we think of people who operate inside the walls of a church or a synagogue. Um, But Jesus never intended for the mission of the church to be moved forward through a small select group of people. And you're probably wondering, like, well, Adam, that's nice, but how can I fit this into everything that I'm already doing? But you don't have to. The thing that we want you to understand as we continue on through this series is that the places and the people that are your mission are already a part of your life. They're just waiting to be seen that way. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 for a minute. A few weeks ago, we looked at it, and it starts with go and make disciples. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of the word, but you can read that word that we translate as go differently. And so another way to think about that word go is kind of like while you're going. 
So while you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And that's a helpful way to think about it. You know, when you're already planning to go, where you're already planning to go, make disciples. Well, since you're already on your way, make disciples. And that shift reminds me that this mission isn't about a a specific place or a specific task. This isn't about something new. There's no tagline at the end of this message where I say, hey, I want you to do this, 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 and this. No, Um, the places of mission are already in your life. They're already where we are. This mission that we have is to the places where we live, work, and play. Because Jesus knew that all of us have unique spaces that we are uniquely situated in to share God's good news. I was thinking about this last week, and I was talking to one of my friends who works at Eastman Chemical Company in Kingsport. And I said, hey, man, like, so if I wanted to come have lunch with you, could I just, like, drive up and walk in? And he just kind of chuckled for a minute. He said, no, there's not a chance. Um, To get into Eastman, uh, there's a whole visitation process that you have to go through. You have to have an escort. You're going to have to know the ins and outs of everything. And if you, like, if you want to spend any significant amount of time there, you have to get a background check and pass a drug test. Like, it is complicated. If you don't work at Eastman, it is a challenge to get on that property. But, But if you're already there, you have access in the relationships. You're already connected in a way that I could never be. And the same thing is true of virtually every workplace. Our jobs connect us to a larger, more consistent network of people than any pastor or any church staff could ever reach. I think about teachers, and even though I work here at First Christian with students, teachers have a unique access and a unique relationship to students that I will never be able to have. I think about electricians, and I'll never work with the same people that they work with. I think about lawyers who meet people in the most unique and often sensitive places in their lives that I'll never meet. I think about truck drivers and the people that they'll meet along their route. I think about doctors who meet people in sensitive spaces. I think about students and about how they'll engage people who will never, ever talk to me. And even if they will talk to me, they're not going to listen to what I have to say. And even if I could get into those places, and even if we had all kinds of pastors, you will be more effective than Ethan, me, or anyone else on our staff because you know the people you spend your days with, and you know that everything changes when it's personal. The same principle can be applied to your neighborhood. A while back, um, I was tasked with going around our neighborhood to get ballots. Um, I'm on our HOA. If you don't like HOAs, don't hate me. But I'm on our HOA, and, um, and I was tasked with going around to get these ballots. And so I, just, I would go to people's doors, and I would knock, and sometimes they'd come to the door. And at first, they were just very, you could just tell, they were kind of tense, like, why are you here? Like, what are you trying to sell me? There's a no soliciting sign, like, you should leave. Uh, but then I let in really quickly, like, hey, I'm, I'm Adam, I'm your neighbor over here at 1183, and I'm just going around, you know, and then start talking about what I was there for. And as soon as they found out I was one of them, Everybody just kind of relaxed. You know, we were able to have a different conversation. We talked about our yards. We talked about our pets. We talked about all kinds of things uh, because there was a relationship there. I was one of them. And because I was one of them, everything changed. And the same thing is true of our families and our friend groups. There's no one who can engage our families and friends like we can because we've been through the highs and the lows together. We have a unique bond 
with one another. And to engage these spaces, we don't have to be preachers, we don't have to be Bible teachers, we don't have to be religious experts or have nice and neat lives. We don't have to have everything figured out. We just have to be like Waze. Waze works because everyone reports what they see and experience, and that's all we have to do to be missionaries to the places where we live, work, and play. All we have to do is look around the places where we're already living, where we're already working, where we're already spending time with friends and family, and just say something about the things that we're seeing and experiencing. Because friends, God hinged God's plans on the belief that every follower of Jesus is a priest with a part to play. Now, all this emphasis on going out doesn't mean that the time we spend here together on Sunday mornings is unimportant. This space is meant to be a space where we gather together, where we celebrate what God has done and what God is continuing to do while we go. Friends, this space is a place for sharing stories, for praying for one another, for trying new things, for brainstorming together how we can better engage the places that are our mission. And this idea gets me so excited about my own life, but also the potential that's in this room because imagine a world where every corner of culture and where every sphere of society is shaped by people who are living out their mission. And I think about how many school systems and how many educational institutions can be touched by the teachers, PTA members, and, and parents that are in this room and across our services today. I think about how many regions of our country could be transformed by the travel schedules of people who come through our doors. I think about um, how many different workplaces of more shapes and sizes than I could ever mention on stage could be impacted by those of us in this room. I think about the people that could be impacted on our morning walks, the people we play, the people who could be impacted that we play golf with, and I think about how many families and neighborhoods could experience the goodness and love of our God through the hospitality of the people sitting in this room this holiday season. I think about how many fellow students and team members uh, could could be transformed, could hear something in a different way by our response to this responsibility. Our world could be transformed if we accepted our calling to be priests. And so I want to encourage you, if this sounds good to you, if you're getting excited about like this like I am, um, I encourage you to come back over the next two weeks. We're going to unpack uh, this GPS language. These actually, um, GPS actually stands for some things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks that can kind of put us at the center of the mission that God has for us. And in three weeks, after we've kind of discerned that together and we're praying about that and thinking about that together, um, in three weeks, we're going to gather and we're going to be commissioned together because priests were ordained. They were set apart for their mission, and that's what we're going to do during our services. We're going to together define our places of mission, and we're going to be sent out, ordained as a kingdom community mobilized for mission, and I don't want you to miss out on that. Friends, the church has a mission, and so do each of us sitting in this room today, because every follower of Jesus is a priest with a part to play. Whether we believe we are or not, whether we believe we have what it takes or not, all of us are meant to be people who connect the world around us back to our God who loves them and who is wanting to make all things new. And I don't want you to miss out on your calling. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for calling us. And it's intimidating and it's scary 
God, but thank you for giving us a place in your mission. God, out of all the ways you could have chosen to, to reconnect the world to you, God, you chose us. You chose fishermen, no-nonsense kind of people, people who don't have it all together. God, thank you for the calling that you've entrusted us. And God, may your spirit help us see the places we leave and go back to this week in a different way. God, may we start to see them as our places of mission.